Hello, I'm Gareth Carpenter, Pharma Content Editor at Inform Markets, and here we are again with another CPHI podcast. This month, we're focusing on cannabinoids and opportunities that are opening up for ingredients manufacturers in both the pharma and cosmetic spaces. Cannabinoids have caught the attention of pharma and cosmetic companies alike in recent years, celebrated for their anti-inflammatory, antioxidant and antibacterial properties in cosmetic products and neurological and chronic pain benefits on the pharma side. There is also rising consumer demand for cannabinoids, exacerbated by a shift towards natural and toxin-free products, which present an interesting opportunity for ingredient manufacturers. So, my guest today is Dr. Monica Vilpando, founder and CEO of Via Innovations, a bespoke product development company. Monica is a pharmaceutically trained product development scientist specialising in the formulation of poorly water-soluble drugs. In her current role, she integrates this background with plant-based medicines to create fit-for-purpose designed products. In addition to her entrepreneurial endeavours, she's active in education and thought leadership and is a scientific advisor to multiple organisations. Monica, thanks so much for joining me here today and welcome. Pleasure to be here. So Monica, just to kick off the conversation, when it comes to cannabis, the majority of people will naturally make the association with its use as a recreational drug with psychoactive properties that may do users more harm than good, rather than a plant with properties that can provide them with benefits. However, industries such as food, cosmetics and healthcare are investing heavily in research to explore the potential benefits of cannabinoids. Could you briefly describe what cannabinoids are and why companies are investing in this type of research? Yeah, so cannabinoids are a class of terpenophenolic compounds, which is a terpene and natural phenol arrangement. And with that, we have a wide variety of different molecules that fall under this class of compounds. And for example, with this wide variety, this also lends for different potential interactions, different therapeutic effects and responses. So there's a lot of interest going on in the cannabis space currently. In the area where I come from, in in terms of formulation of poorly water-soluble drugs, This has been the jump from pharma into cannabis was this appeal because cannabinoids are notoriously poorly water-soluble. They're actually considered lipophilic compounds, so fat-loving compounds. And as a result, it makes the formulation and some of the research challenges exciting and also very challenging. And so that's some of the areas where companies are looking to do perform research, but there is a wide variety of other applications that I'm happy to go into later in this talk. Um, But one thing I definitely want the audience to understand is cannabinoids are not only found in the cannabis plant, where our bodies actually uh, produce natural occurring cannabinoids. Uh, These are called endocannabinoids. And these are arachidonic acid derivatives called 2-AG or AEA. And these bind to different receptors in the body, CB1, CB2 receptors, as well as we're showing interaction with other receptors of G protein coupled receptors, TRPV1. So there's many different avenues and pathways in cannabinoids. So we very much just scratched the surface of our research in the various, whether it's food, pharma, uh, nutraceuticals, cosmetics, there's, there's a lot of interaction going on right now. So it's, it's exciting to be part of this space. 
My research, I've done some research, tells me that there's at least 113 recognised cannabinoids. As you've just said, they don't all come exclusively from marijuana plants. Are there more to be discovered? Yeah, and I think that number is actually outdated. The last I heard is around 154. It's constantly evolving in terms of these discoveries. But yeah, we are discovering new cannabinoids as a very fast exponential rate, either through different reaction mechanisms like enzymatic or chemical processes. But yes, as I alluded to earlier, our bodies naturally produce cannabinoids. We have cannabinoids from the plant, most notably from the cannabis plant. But we also see other plant-produced cannabinoids such as black pepper, echinacea, carrots, most recently, I found quite interesting was a specific cannabinoid, CBG, that's very uh, prevalent in hydroponically grown tomato roots, um, which is uh, uh, what we consider a minor cannabinoid in the cannabis industry, which is minor because it's harder to isolate. So there's many different pathways that we can obtain cannabinoids from. There are some research groups creating cannabinoids from yeast or even orange peel. So there's a lot of active areas where different groups are focusing on in the areas of discovering new cannabinoids and also producing new cannabinoids. That's fascinating. Monica, I'd just like to also discuss your journey into this. I mean, you're a pharmaceutical product development scientist by training. Could you share with us some of your key learnings during your transition from this pharma background into the cannabis industry? Yeah. First of all, I underestimated how challenging it would be to make the transition from mm. pharma into cannabis. And this is through multi <laughs> multiple layers of discovery. I entered in thinking, okay, I know how to work with poorly water-soluble compounds. The cannabinoids are just another such compound to, to work with, just different considerations there. But when I entered the space, first, there are a number of different extraction methods which yield very different extraction form types. And so these types will have different physical chemical properties, different potencies of the cannabinoid, different cannabinoid profiles. One thing I didn't mention is that the cannabis plant produces a lot of other interesting molecules such as terpenes, flavonoids, fatty acids. So there's a lot of areas of a potential and understanding there to kind of flesh out. So a, understanding all the different extraction forms and what the considerations with each one entails. And then secondly, where I came in like, okay, I know how to work with poorly water-soluble compounds. I underestimated how challenging it is to actually solubilize these molecules. If we go back to sort of the traditional pharmaceutical development pipelines where you start off with, say, 10,000 potential molecules that then get filtered out through development for whatever reasons to eventually obtain your marketed product, I think that cannabinoids would not make the cut because of how difficult they are to formulate and, <laughs> and handle. So that was something that I, that I did not expect in some of that extra challenge of layer of the materials that were placed in my hand. And then also working with a variety of natural compounds. So with these extraction forms, we have, like I mentioned, these different components in there. So really isolating and understanding which compound plays a role in the formulation and the effect of your product. And then one thing that's very different in the cannabis space that I've observed versus pharma is that the cannabis space actually prefers what we call a full spectrum profile or extract versus an isolated molecule. So in pharmaceutics, we work with APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients, which often 
are say 99% higher in purity. And we were working with the crystal that then the formulators take on and, and produce their products. With cannabis, it's different. We're seeing actually from other groups, big many groups out of Israel, for example, are showing different effects from this entourage effect. So you have two cannabinoids. And so one plus one doesn't necessarily equals two. You have a greater outcome when you combine these. And so um, that's been very interesting to understand, makes it much more challenging to study, but it's a very different way of thinking from when we when we work on compounds in the pharmaceutical space where we want pure crystalline forms to work with. And then I would say finally the challenges around regulatory hurdles, whether it's unknown regulations, evolving regulations, restricted regulations, so that that just slows down innovation, development times, and sort of just general R&D and understanding of the true mechanism of how these compounds are working and interacting to make a finished product. The picture of painting is very much, there's a very broad spectrum of possibilities here. I guess the key question really now is what are the key areas in pharmaceuticals and cosmetics which you think cannabinoid research is most likely to reap dividends in? Yeah, so in pharma, there's a lot of area of research with pain and inflammation. And those can be a root cause of many issues. So we're seeing groups interested in Crohn's disease, for example, that's one area. Uh, there's a lot of research done in, around epilepsy with the use of cannabis. There's also a major potential for oncology drugs. We're seeing some exciting in vitro results. So pushing more and more of that understanding in vivo and the clinical study potential as a woman and also suffering from endometriosis. Personally, I've used cannabis to help mitigate that pain and discomfort from my periods associated from endometriosis and even the surgery involved. So that's something that I'm personally very active in. And then even going beyond, say, with psoriasis application. So there is really a lot of areas, but I would say the root is really around pain, inflammation on, say, more the physical sense. If we want to expand it over to the mental, we have uses with PTSD, anti-anxiety, support with depression. So there's also other areas where cannabis can support. And a lot of times these are associated when you have excess pain, that's going to result in decreasing your quality of life, which is going to affect your mental state. So there's a lot of areas and different research groups focusing on these different need states. On the cosmetic side, that's taken on a different type of trend, at least from my perspective, where I'm seeing more major retailers taking on and adapting to this cannabis-based infusion. Unfortunately, I am seeing some brands integrate hemp seed oil and branding it as a cannabis product. Now, hemp seed oil has a lot of great omegas and, and other formulation potentials, but it does not contain the cannabinoids themselves that add really more of that extra effect. So I'm not necessarily considering those when I talk about cosmetics. It's really the products that contain cannabinoids in them. And so with that, we're seeing currently standard products like body lotions, for example, you know, we can see some bath bombs and whatnot. But I think that where it can get quite interesting is looking at interaction with hair growth or even suppression. I worked with a company where we were able to demonstrate the use of cannabinoids to protect against UV exposure. So we have a, a sunscreen and an after sun formulation where we looked into some of those effects. 
And as well as I mentioned, the many byproducts that the cannabis plant produces, some of these lipids and fatty acids, I think they'd be very exciting to break down and understand from a cosmetic standpoint from like skin regeneration, whether it be wrinkle filling or whatnot, as well as even spot treatment. So with cosmetics, that covers a wide range. But I, I definitely want to see the cosmetics industry gear more towards not only just the cannabinoids, but breaking down the other parts of the plant and seeing how the interaction with the skin could benefit, say, wrinkle or UV damage, for example. So other than identifying um, which areas of research to focus on, um, Monica, could you just highlight what some of the key hurdles for research advancements are? Definitely regulations, because it's been frustrating for me as a scientist. Oftentimes, I don't have access to the analytical tools that I want to use to evaluate the true mechanism or challenges around shipping of materials across state lines as it's, it's you know federally legal. Also, the stigma associated with cannabis, that's still very strong and prevalent. So that hinders different subject matter expertise coming and lending their knowledge and background into the space to further drive our understanding of it. We're seeing more and more of such more, let's say, experienced and knowledgeable scientists and other industry professionals. But I definitely the stigma is still a hurdle with that. And that is also, in my opinion, tied to a lot of the regulatory restrictions. You know, universities where we see a lot of research and innovation occurring, if they do have a grant to work with cannabis, oftentimes they're limited to a specific type of cannabis supply. And it's not necessarily representative of what the wider market is using or extracting. So that also makes it challenging. And so the results from one group would maybe publish certain reports, but not necessarily representing what what is actually being used in, in real world. And then also just the really big one is the need for more clinical studies. There's a lot of cannabis cures X, Y, and Z. Cannabis can do ABC, but it's really we need more data to in fact demonstrate that and understand to what extent it can support these indications at what dose, at what concentration, what are some of these side effects or potential interactions that we should be aware of. So there's still a number of hurdles, but I would say the the top one is the regulatory challenges that we're currently faced in, in the industry. And moving on to the next stage, Monica, of actually, you know, designing a product, which obviously you have experience of, what are the key considerations of this, you know, when you're designing a, a cannabinoid or to be, you know, more specific, a CBD-based product? Going back to the regulations is where is this product intended on being sold? Because that will dictate often what dosing I can select, what type of cannabinoids I can choose from or extraction methods. But beyond that, it's it's understanding the target product profile uh, of what you're designing. And the school of thought is practice in pharma and all other sort of product development design strategies. So the same principles apply for the most part is what is the dose? Who is it going to? What is the dosage form? The route of administration? All of these things play a role in, in sort of designing the overall target effect. Uh, but most importantly, with specific to cannabinoids, it's what can you legally do and what do we actually know and, and what claims can we make, which is very little. But in terms of like accessing uh, cannabinoids, there's additional due diligence of looking at the extraction method, 
how optimized is that, you know, as this is a new emerging market, we don't necessarily have the uh, validation procedures in place that you would expect in the pharmaceutical industry when sourcing these ingredients. So um, kind of coming from the lens of my background, I've always asked extra questions and wanting to see more batch to batch consistency. So all of this is, is tends to kind of slow down the process. So I always know that if I'm making a cannabis product, I always give myself and, and communicate with the clients extra buffer of time because there's always these additional regulatory hurdles that slow it down. And most importantly is the ability to remain flexible in terms of what you're designing and agile because I've been in situations where I started a project a year ago and then as the regulations change, I'm no longer allowed to put a certain cannabinoid from this specific extract form into my product. So it's it's primarily been challenging around the hemp regulations versus like the THC legal market considerations state by state. But that will all sort of smooth out. But I would say specifically to cannabis is understanding you're working with a natural product that has variability. So it's, it's to understand that component, characterize as much as you can, especially if you're not working with a pure cannabinoid isolate. And then the rest is considering where, what type of product you're making and what type of regulation it would fall under, whether it's if I'm approaching a nebula, an inhaler, a nebulizer for an inhalation or a topical based product in California, I'm going to look at it from a very different lens and how I formulate them. Monica, I'd like to also sort of talk about the messaging and communications around this. Um, I mean, as attitudes towards using cannabis and health and beauty products are changing, I think it's fair to say, though, that in certain sections of society, at least, there's still a taboo, and you mentioned the stigma around it, usually to do with concerns around, well, efficacy, side effects and, and addiction. These may be quite misplaced. But how should companies in the cosmetics and pharma sector with a cannabinoid-based product tackle the issue of how to brand them? Education. Tons and tons of education and, and good marketing. That is education-based. As a scientist, I'm a firm believer that the science will win. And essentially, these brands generating more data to be able to stand behind some of the claims that they're making. It's important to know that cannabis only has a few intoxicant molecules, you know, THC being number one, but now we're also seeing a Delta-8 THC emerge, which is causing controversy in the space too. And I think this is important for us to address because on one hand, I've heard, well, it's natural, it can't kill you. Okay, but these products can be formulated to be harmful and can hurt you and kill you. And I think the most prevalent one or more recently is around some of the vape pens and how they've been infused with vitamin E acetate. Now, that's one extreme example, but I'm also, from my standpoint, is working as a consultant in the space. I've seen a number of brands come to me with some problems from being oversold a dream saying, yeah, you can just take this water-soluble extract and mix it with all these variety of product types and you're fine. You have a finished product. And that's just simply not the case. Even you have inactive ingredients alone, they are, they're safe, but you combine them 
or you combine them in a specific manner or order, you can have byproducts. And so if you don't have the chemistry and the science built into it, then then you have such reports and, and issues that come about. But speaking to sort of the pharmaceutical colleagues that have been skeptical, especially in the earlier days of when I joined, it's really just due to lack of data and a number of companies that are making all of these exaggerated claims of what their product can do without the true scientific backing. And especially as scientists, we're naturally keen to ask questions and second guess everything. So I think in order to reduce the stigma, we have to add more data to present that. That will then get more subject matter expertise into other fields to join cannabis. And then our understanding will increase, which will then get communicated and marketed to the wider audience and and that's use of it. But, you know, really most importantly is, especially around topicals, you're most likely not going to feel the effects like this, I say intoxicant or psychotropic effects. I don't like using psychoactive because cannabinoids, all of them are psychoactive. So CBD is psychoactive, but it won't impair your driving. It won't impair the way that THC will. So it's those nuances and really understanding that if you take a cannabis product, you're not going to end up at the couch eating pizza all day as that stigma <laughs> shows. And, and so it's science-driven marketing is, I would say, is the key to the success in driving it forward. Okay. I've got one final question, Monica. All the evidence appears to suggest that the use of cannabinoids in cosmetics and pharma is only going to grow. What do you think, I know this is difficult, but what do you think the market sector is going to look like in, say, 10 years' time? Yeah, (laughs) 10 years. There's a long time from now, especially how quickly the innovation and the regulations are changing. We kind of have an inside joke in the, the industry that cannabis years are like dog years. So <laughs> what I think 70 <laughs> years from now, um, no, it, all joking aside, I do see that cannabis is coming out as a, in a kind of a timely, in a good timely manner in the sense that as a product developer and designer, we're seeing more trends outside of the cannabis space with focusing on more natural products, more sustainable type of products, and cannabis falls under that umbrella. And so I'm going to see it more as a common ingredient on health and wellness uh, shelves. I also see it as an ingredient incorporated in more beverages as we're seeing a big rise in interest in there and sort of inching in some of the the alcohol space. Like I mentioned, we're seeing a lot of millennials now. They're not really drinking as a way as people of my generation were either. So it's going to follow. And and as the stigma decreases, it's going to be more integrated into as a common ingredient. I think some of the excitement and overhype will dampen and sort of a level of a bubble that will be bursted. And some of these brands that are just kind of quick to sale will will go away and we'll see brands that are really focusing on need-based states and using it as a ingredient to complement other ingredients rather than too much just Here's CBD, it will help your sleep, anxiety, pain, menstrual cramps, you know, <laughs> like, so just a, more, more of that focus. But yeah, I, I'm going to see like 10 years from now, people will be like, what was the whole big deal about? Okay, Monica, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for listening to the podcast and please do head to cphi-online.com for lots more news, features and analysis on the latest developments impacting the global pharmaceutical supply chain. 
Our next podcast in the series will be coming to you soon. In the meantime, goodbye, and I wish you a pleasant day ahead. Thank you.